1: plushcare.com slash weight loss hey this is horse hour and i'm your host amy stevenson today i'm talking to cameron from equine first aid so yes you can guess we're talking all about first aid for horses
2: unfortunately the stark reality is it's not if it's when it's going to happen and the question is are you prepared
1: this is horse hour Welcome to another episode of Horse Hour. We are going all the way over to South Africa now to speak to Cameron Becker. Cameron's got a genius idea. I want to hear all about it. How are you, Cameron?
2: I'm so well, that's frightening. How are you, Emmy?
1: Oh well of course you're well. That's because you have the sun <laughs> and you've got a tan and I'm sat here with the flu. It's okay. So so Cameron, we're talking to you about Equine First Aid. And even though you're based over in South Africa, you have great experience in the horse industry. And it's something that we're bringing to the UK, which is mega, mega exciting. So Equine First Aid, can you tell me a bit about it?
2: Sure. So... Having emergency services as a background in South Africa, um, my mom always called on me if there's an incident with a horse, and there always is, naturally. uh, They're accident-prone creatures. So she used to call me, oh, the foal's got his foot stuck in the bars, so I'd go and help and, you know, do all those type of things. And the idea kind of came to my mom and I, that we could take the first aid training experience and incorporate with horses, because nothing like that exists in South Africa. I did a little bit of homework and... It barely exists overseas. So that's pretty much how it was uh, derived. There's
1: only a f- there's a very few companies that do horse first aid training. You have to go to your vet. And when I first got my horse as an amateur, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I'll openly admit that. You know, I, I, I knew very little about if a horse injured itself, what I should do or what I could do. I always phoned the vet. So... I paid my riding instructor to come and give me hourly lessons a week on horse first aid because I was so afraid that if something happened, I wouldn't know what to deal with it. And actually, I did that after my horse got an injury. So he had barbed wire and um, he got backed into a corner by the other horses and barbed wire struck the inside of his leg. And it was a severe injury and I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So something like what you're offering is is a really, really genius idea because we need to be proactive. We need to think ahead before rather than after something happens. So are you providing courses then that people can go on and find out about horse first aid?
2: Correct. So the idea is to build this on or bolt it on to a normal first aid course. So you do your CPR and how to bandage and how to assess a scene and treat a patient. Then I realized, after doing a little bit of homework and looking into the only courses I could find online, that human and horse first aid are very similar when it comes down to the dire emergency. When I say dire emergency, I mean anything that would be life-threatening if not treated immediately, let's say in the next 15 minutes to half an hour. So I did a little bit of research. I saw, oh wow, you approach a horse like this and you do a head-to-tail. We call it a head-to-toe normal first aid. You do a primary survey, you do your your three H's, you know, hazards. Are there any hazards around me? Hello, greet the horse, make sure they can see you. Take in a bit of an approach that, okay, I can see how the horse's uh, attitude is. Is it maybe distressed, depressed, want to fight or flight? And from there, you can maybe call help from a vet or call someone to assist you holding the horse so you can address any of the injuries or You know, start from scratch to figure out why the horse is acting strange. And these are all concepts in normal first aid. So we we derive that from basic people first aid into horses.
1: So you've got horses yourself. How long have you been riding for?
2: I rode for most of my my youth. Mm -hmm. There's five horses on my mother's property. Most of them are dressage. Actually, all of them are. The last jumping horse just got uh, relegated to another yard, unfortunately. He just wanted to jump and not do dressage. So... I was it symbiotic <laughs> with my mom, unfortunately. <laughs> oh. So yeah, I competed up until I was about 13, fell in love with rugby and athletics and decided to give it up.
0: Oh. Focused on those two sports. Do, you miss,
2: do you miss the riding? I do. I really, really do. So I want to get back into it now that I have more time, resign from operations on the road. In terms of being a paramedic, I actually have time. I couldn't mm. see myself owning or riding a horse again. Because it's a full time commitment that it's not part time at all.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely full time. Morning, noon, sure. and night. <laughs> and so what did you compete in? Was it dressage?
2: I did dressage as a groundwork. <laughs> My mom was pedantic about that. She <laughs> says you will not jump a horse until it can get around. <laughs> I was like, Oh, what does that mean? And then I've I learned. I subsequently learned and I learned the discipline of dressage and I fell in love with it. Mm. Got over jumping. I don't know, it's just it's it's different with uh, mind and physicality and the horse incorporated into one sport, which is dressage in essence. So I really enjoyed that. Watching my mom ride a prison George trained horse, she rides South African Paralympics, so that's pretty interesting. So I used to call her tests, even though I messed it up nine times out of ten and got <laughs> asked not to do that anymore.
1: She rides for the Paralympics, did you say?
2: Correct. I can't remember what rating or... Uh, classification of para she is but yeah she represents South african paralympics and so is she going is she
1: is she going to Rio
2: she was supposed to however my mom can sit on a plane for longer than two hours because she's got something called multiple sclerosis mm-hmm. which is a nerve-ending disease and it stops circulation and she's got dVT which is deep vein thrombosis and that with the ms and the aeroplane is just a recipe for a clot and from what i understand about clots, is it's not good no, definitely. So she unfortunately can't go overseas. So if it ever came here, she'll be able to. She did everything to qualify. Just unfortunately, the disability has got the better of her. That's one of her disabilities. She's also got fused ankles and decreased movement. I think it's on the left hand side.
1: I know this might sound crazy, but can she not drive there?
2: From no, unfortunately not.
1: Because um, how far away are you from Rio? Oh, Rio. I
2: wouldn't Rio. know in kilometers, but. A lot. probably 2,000, 3,000 kilometers over an ocean. I don't think our our continents are joined in any (laughs) way in the Americas. (laughs) That's such a shame
1: because I'd be trying to get a boat and drive and just get there as much as I could.
2: As As amazing as it sounds, I guess we have to choose our our battles and she decided not to choose this one and wait until the off-transit comes to South Africa. So we did put a bid in, from what I understand, for the Summer Olympics, and I don't know what happened with that. I, I don't watch the news very often. so.
1: Well, they got the World Cup for the football, didn't they? So, you know, if it's good enough for the football, then there's a good chance you could get the Equestrian Olympics there?
2: There is a strong, strong chance. Um, we've got some very talented riders here.
1: So your horsey experience, you've got loads of horse experience because you've been riding since you were young and being a paramedic, you must have seen some pretty bad, quite sad situations. What what horse situation have you seen that's probably affected you the most?
2: Sure. Where do I start? Unfortunately, Palame is one of the, the horsey capitals of South Africa. Mm. So they thick and fast, these uh, incidents that you speak of. One of the incidents that do stand out was uh, the police. They have a, a riot squad which utilizes horses. Uh, They're mounted units. They were on their way to some form of riot in one of the townships called Soweto, and they crashed on the highway. I think they had a three-berth trailer. Uh, it was full. The car was full with the, the officers and the mounted officers. And they rolled the vehicle, and they rolled it with the, the horses inside. So two managed to somehow get out of the trailer and run down the highway. And one, unfortunately, was deceased. Mm. And a couple of the, the police officers were also terribly, terribly injured. So that was my first big accident where both horse and rider were injured. Then I've been to the odd fall of a horse when they were going on art rides, and they got spooked by something, mm. and... The the rider unfortunately came off or a car came too close. That's a huge issue. Cars and horses when you're going on outrides.
1: That's something that we're actually, I'm I'm speaking to a lady called Debbie Smith, who's got a campaign called Pass Wide and Slow. She's actually going up to the government to try and make it legal, um, a legal requirement for drivers to drive slower. Drive fifty. She wants them to drive fifteen miles an hour at the maximum round horses because over here the people are just getting hit all the time from bad drivers.
2: I think that's a, a international problem. So yeah, we have the same thing here. We have signposts up saying horses or people on outrides, and unfortunately, people are in a rush. It's it's the twenty first century. Everyone's in a rush to do something, and they're texting and driving and all those things, and mm. it's becoming a horrible issue that other people are coming, you know, second best in the, in the situations and it's, it's just not fair.
1: Hmm. But it goes to show though, first aid can happen anywhere. It does not necessarily in your yard, it's not necessarily uh, when you're in the school, you know, schooling the horse, it can happen on a hack, it can happen anywhere, which is why it's important that we know what we're doing to help the horse. My my, my question to you, Cameron, is did you not find it really difficult to choose who to help first in that car accident, you know, in the lorry accident? Did you not struggle to work out whether you go to the horse first or whether you go to the human first?
2: It's a good question, that. And it is something that we posed on any scene, be it if it's just people, just horses, or both horse and rider. So there would be a triage, uh, basic step-by-step process that you'd need to follow. And it would be a priority or colour scale. And I'm not sure what they use in the UK with emergency services. But you would have your green, yellow, orange, and red. So, and black and blue. Sorry, I forget about the fourth priority. So, green would be, they're fine, they're walking around. There's no need for assistance right now. Yellow is, it's urgent. But if there's any other colour after that, it needs attention before the yellow and the green. So there'll be orange, which could also be red. So it's a fine line, and I don't really like that. We call it P1 to P4 on the the road as a paramedic. So when we have priority one, is the most critical, most injured, be it personal horse. Mm -hmm. Priority two is just about to be a critical patient. So they're not quite priority one, but they're not walking around unseen. So they urgently need to be seen to. And then you get a P3, which is what we consider walking wounded, and then P4. So you need to prioritize. You need to make sure that you can save and do no more harm, which is basically first aid in essence. So you need to triage, sum up the scene, see who needs your help, stop the hemorrhage if there is any hemorrhage, because blood loss will kill a lot quicker than any other form of injury when you're in the dire emergency.
1: Oh, really? What about breathing?
2: So, basically, if you're not breathing on scene, you're considered dead in the priority scale of triage.
1: Wow. So what do they do? So,
2: you go through, let's say there's 10 people on scene. You go to the first person, no breathing, but a pulse. Okay? So, Mm -hmm. technically, they're P1. Then you go to the next person, they're breathing and have a pulse, but they're unconscious and they're not responding to anything. That is considered P1 as well. But the chances of survival for the guy who's breathing with a pulse but no response is a lot greater than someone who's got a pulse but no breathing.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: So it's unfortunately you only have so many resources Mm. that you can deal with on a scene, but you have so many people to adhere to, and you you have to be logical about it. And we are trained, and we're trained very harshly on this priority triaging system. And I'm not sure about the rest of the world, and I, I talk about South Africa only, hmm. and we have mass casualties all the time. Our taxis have between 18 and 25 people in it, and can you imagine that taxi, which has happened, hits a horse rider while on their horse? Cool. It's, it's just one of the... It's a, such a sad situation, and unfortunately, the stark reality is it's not if, it's when it's going to happen, and the question is, are you prepared? do you have the right equipment do you have the right skill set do you have the right contact details what policies procedures and processes do you have in place be it at your own yard or at your horse riding school or at a facility that hosts events what happens if the worst case scenario comes to fruition and is reality what happens then
1: what does happen
2: well We do cover this stuff in the course.
1: (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) As much as it
2: sounds like I'm punting it, I I would love to give some of the resources. We are teaching you life-saving skills for both horse and rider. We aim it at the horse, hence the name Equine First Aid. And if you can bandage a person, you can bandage a horse. If you can take a temperature on a person, you can take a temperature on a horse. If you can listen to a person's lung sounds with a stethoscope, you can listen to a horse's. You know, it's just it's symbiotic. They work with each other. The first aid is not so different. Maybe the organs are bigger. Maybe they have four legs and we have two. They still have two eyes. They still have a heart and lungs. They still have a digestive tract. So it just all works together.
1: But you know, it also helps us not to. Well, it helps me not to panic so much because I I see something on my horse, Blackjack, and I do tend to go into panic mode all the time. Of oh, that might be something, or has he hurt himself this way, or is this, you know, has he got a stomach ulcer? Because I've spoken to someone and found out a little bit more about stomach ulcers, and then I see that he's chewing, and suddenly I think Blackjack's got a stomach ulcer. I mean, okay, no. I could be a hypochondriac. I probably am, but I, he. I'm more bothered about his welfare and his safety than I am my own and his health. Um, so learning first aid and how to spot problems and then how to deal with problems would be really beneficial because one, it would make me calmer, I wouldn't panic so much, but also then I'll be able to deal with the situation if it does arrive and uh, arise and I won't feel so helpless because that moment that he had that barbed wire injury and I had no idea what I was doing It would be so nice to be able to say, okay, well, it's just superficial, so it's not that bad, so I need to wrap it up. This is what I need to do. Monitor it for a few days. If it gets worse, phone the vet. Whilst right now, I'm going, any slight injury, I'm phoning the vet straight away, and it could be panicking, thinking he could be dying.
2: I understand that completely, and just to backtrack a bit, Amy, Hmm. you are not the only person in the, the horsey fraternity that feels that their horse becomes a part of them or becomes... Their, their top priority or they put the horse before them. So I understand that completely. I see it with myself when I had my horses. I see it in my mom. And sometimes I feel like the, the sixth child after the horses. <laughs> so basically what we hope to achieve is give and empower the rider with the knowledge that they need, even though it's minimalistic. It's not open heart surgery. It's how to put a bandage on what to look for when you approach the horse, how to understand if it is a real dire emergency. It needs to be seen urgently, or I can do it myself. So Mm -hmm. we need to give the rider that skill set, and they need to know that when they call a vet, they're going to tell them, listen, vet so-and-so, this is my location, this is where you'll find me, this is why I'm calling, This is what's wrong with the horse, and this is what I've done so far to make sure that, remember what I said earlier, to cause no more harm, to prevent the harm from getting worse. Mm, Yes. And then you can have a set of vital signs, like, you know, people's vital signs, you get your respiration rates, the shallow, how deep it is, or if it's fast or slow. It all helps the vet. Like when we arrive on the ambulance and the first aid is there, and they say, listen, this is his vital signs. It takes out five to ten minutes of my job of trying to pinpoint, okay, this is what it is, especially if it's medical, because trauma, you can see, okay, Mm -hmm. there's a cut there, put a bandage, that's fine, it stopped bleeding, or if it carries on bleeding, I put another bandage on top, because we never remove bandages, and if carrying on and sprite red, okay, that might be arterial, but I learned about this actually recently with my my studies and understanding the medical side of a horse versus a person is – There's something called choke. Have you heard of choke before?
1: Um, Yes. I had a horse that had choke, actually. And it was literally he choked. He was choking on his hay every time he ate. He ate too quickly and he'd choke on it.
2: Exactly. But I asked my mom, who's had horses for her whole life, since she was probably six. So that's 50-odd years. Mm. And I said, Mom, have you heard of choke? She looked at me. She says, "Uh, what do you mean, choke? Is that colic? I said, no, colic and choke are two very different things. But have you seen it or heard of it before? She said, no, not her close friends, not her immediate horsey family, not her instructor. No one's ever spoken about choke to her. Now, there might be one or two people. Maybe I'm just living in a a bit of a hole. But (laughs) I thought colic and choke were the same thing. And then I did some reading and I tried to understand what causes choke. How do you prevent it? Mm. Um, Well, it's really, I thought
1: exactly the same until I had a horse that had it. Um, I had no idea he he, like I said he was eating the hay and then he started choking on it and I phoned the vet and said my horse is choking on the hay and he said he's got choke and I said no no he's choking he said no he's got choke and I thought the same as you Cameron I said but he's not got colic he's not lying on the floor he said no no he's got choke and it's because they don't have a reflex a natural reflex so horses can't yeah they can't be sick so instead, it it choke they choke on it.
2: So yeah, I mean, who knew that? I didn't. You didn't know before it happened. Mm. People want to know. Then I did some more research, and I find that in America they've got pet first aid. <laughs> and I never heard of that either.
1: No. So really? that
2: might be coming soon. So who knows? I might I might do that in the future. But right now it's horses first aid kits for horses because if you ever seen a per, a people's first aid kit or human first aid kit you'll probably treat half of a horse's front leg with that amount of bandages.
1: Um, how Can you describe to me, how? because we can't see.
2: Let me think about this. If you can take probably about 5 to 10 centimetre bandages, they're normally conform bandages in a first aid kit. So they're the stretchy ones. They're not the crepe bandages or crepe, or however you want to pronounce it, the brown, pretty thick bandages. They're normally those thin ones. Mm. And if you unroll it, they're normally between 2.5 and 5 metres So if you think about something that's almost half a millimeter to a millimeter thick and wrapping that around, how many times would you need to get around a wound on a large animal cutting themselves from a fence with a normal first aid kit that you find in anyone's car or inside of a building, specifically in South Africa, I'm not sure about the UK, but we have those regulation kits that the government says you'll have this and it's I can even read it to you if you really want to. But basically, <laughs> we have them. We have t- them
1: here as well. Every every business has to have a first aid kit.
2: And if you ever looked in it, you can just treat one person with that.
1: Yeah, now, you get a plaster. You get maybe some ibuprofen gel. Um, you get uh, a gauze. You know, yeah, a gauze and probably anti-
2: unsterile as well.
1: Yeah, and antiseptic wipe, and they're normally out of date too.
2: Exactly. So if you have an instance when your horse cuts himself and. They're just like you and me. They get infection. You want to have something that's sterile, something that fits, and something that's big enough with the knowledge, right? Mm. So we we striving to both do the prevention by teaching you evacuation drills. That's one of the, the free things I want to give out. So you just need to drop us an email on that hello at today, or tweet us at equi underscore first aid. And we'll give you the evacuation procedures, how to prepare for the evacuation should one happen, like what happens if the barn catches on fire. And I know you guys in the UK get this wonderful thing called snow. We don't get it here, mm-hmm. so I've never prepared for a, a whiteout. But I would understand that you would need to have a reserve amount of food on um, on site. you will need to know where to go if there's something like a fire or a flood. Apparently, you guys flooded the other day. Oh, mm, we flood, oh, here we as flood
1: well. all the time. Do you? That surprises yeah. me because it's, I always thought of South Africa is sunny.
2: It is, but we have our thunder showers, our high-fault thunder showers, which are probably the biggest amount of lightning and rain in probably a week you'd ever see. It frightens the horses; they go mad inside the stable, run into walls, and then we start from scratch. So,
1: so what do you be- do? What do you do with your horses in a flood?
2: So, well, we actually in a floodplain. I don't know whose idea was to build there, but it happened. And all we do is we make sure that we've got food on the other side of the property at the highest point. So we have about a week's supply there. So if it does manage to somehow flood into the TEF and feed lots, then we've got backup food. Uh, we make sure. Now, this is very, very important. And I only realize this because my mom had one of her horses suffer from rain rot. Now, rain rots, I'm sure you guys get in the UK very often, Mm. but it's when a horse is in mud all the time and no one takes the time to, you know, take a hoof pick and clean out all that rotten mud and scrub that foot with maybe an antiseptic solution and dry the foot and keep it dry for at least overnight so that they don't get – it's like change foot. You know, if you submerge your foot in water for too long, it's going to get rotten.
0: Mm. That's
2: just it, you know, osmosis and all those wonderful things. So – we have to make sure that the horses stay on dry ground for at least eight hours so they don't get the rain rots. And if they do, get two diapers or four diapers or whatever amount of feet that are getting the rain rots. Put them in the diapers or the nappies. Or I don't know what you guys call it there. Yeah, we, call them, we call
1: them call nappies. Yeah. Nappies,
2: yes. <laughs> and put plastic bags over their feet and duct tape it up. Obviously not too high up. You don't want to stop the circulation. And don't make it too tight, etc. And make sure that the horse's feet are dry. Because that is something that the horse can't recover from if it goes too far.
1: So your what you call rain rot, does that go up their hoof, up their legs as well?
2: Can it you, can become septic. Yeah. Can get so into the hoof I, think,
1: septic. I think we call that mud fever over here. Mud
2: fever, yes.
1: So mud fever is not a single disease. But it can be seen in different forms. So similar to your rain rot, it occurs in warm, wet weather. Um, sure. But it's not just limited to warm, wet weather. You know, basically the bacteria grows if the horse's hoof or leg is warm. It can range from a mild skin irritation to really painful, infected sores. And in some cases, it can even grow into swelling and can they, the horses get lame from it. Is that the same as your rain rot?
2: Yes, that's pretty much it. So basically what happens is the soul, it disintegrates. Like can you imagine your nail in water all day? It gets soft. And then it becomes permeable. Things can go through it. And it goes through to the frock or frog, however you pronounce it.
0: Hmm.
2: And then it can infect the plantar cushion. Go into the coffin bone and then you can get infection in the bone, which is horrible. And I mean, if you've ever had a proper sinus infection, it's that pain that you get along the the, the mandible and those type of things. And it, it hurts. And it can be pretty much one of the most painful things you experience, and one of the most difficult things to get rid of. Because if you get an infection in the bone, it can also go into the blood because your bone marrow is where you get your blood from, and where you, uh, you know, get rid of the old red blood cells and get the new red blood cells helped with the liver, and it's all interconnected. So it's important that you look after your horse's feet, also with
0: nails.
1: So going back to the first aid for horses, then can you give us three tips?
0: Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello, fresh! Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. On, on how yeah, on how to
1: assess the severity of the situation okay let's just say with our horses um obviously if there's an accident like someone's come off the horse and the horse is bleeding from its legs you know that's pretty severe or you know you've been hit by a car or the horse has been hit by a car you know that that's severe but i'm talking day-to-day things you know you go down to the fields, um something's not quite right with your horse how are there are there any standard points that we should be thinking of to assess the horse
2: Yes, there definitely is. Now, let's go through the process from start to finish, and then it will take about two minutes. So basically, you arrive, and you find that your horse is in distress. You know your horse better than anyone else, right? With your preventative care, you would have got a baseline or a normal set of vital signs for when that horse is at rest, what the horse is like with its uh, posture, it's uh, We call it bold, so B-A-L-D, bold as in, a man going bald, mm. right? This falls under our primary assessment. So is the horse bright? Is it happy? Yeah. Is it looking at you? Is it coming to greet you like normal? Is it alert, right? So this is the next step down. Mm-hmm. So it might not come and greet you, but did it notice you approaching? So that's important. So now you can see the difference between your horse at a normal happy day, then your horse, okay, maybe something's bothering him, tired after exercise, etc. Then you get lethargic. He's noticed you in the the alert process, and if you call him, he comes to you. Mm -hmm. But lethargic, he may not notice you, or he may notice you but not come to you when you call him, even if you try and bribe him with a carrot. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then you get depressed. If you notice that none of this is working, you go in there, you're like, hey, buddy, what's happening? And the horse shies away from you. That is definitely a warning sign. Anything pretty much after alert. So if the horse is lethargic, grumpy, aggressive, anything different from what it's used to, depressed, shying away, eating differently by eating, its, it's attacking its food. You know, it's precursors of choke. It's attacking its food. What's causing it to attack the food? Why would the horse attack the food? It's a it's a precursor. It's it's a warning sign. Why is the horse not eating? So what you need to do, and this is tip number one, is understand your horse's habits. When you understand the horse's habits, you understand your horse. When you understand your horse's habits, you understand what's normal and not normal. Anything that's not normal is not what your horse will do on a day-to-day basis. And that's the biggest way of explaining how to rectify a situation before it starts by seeing the horse's attitude and demeanor through the bald. So it's bright, horse comes to you alert notices you but it may approach you or may not the third lethargic it doesn't move at all even with some bribery and corruption (laughs) and depressed it shies away so that's tip number one i'd say
1: yeah the horses have good and bad days though because you know blackjack sometimes he comes to me like today he, he came straight over other days he he can't he couldn't be fussed he's not bothered but i don't think there's anything wrong with him
2: I'm sure horses have bad days. I mean, (laughs) everyone does. Dogs and cats do. When I speak to a horse, I'll let you know. But unfortunately, I haven't got around to that yet. (laughs) However, let's assume. Let's assume horses are more like us than we care to know. Mm. And maybe they do have bad days. And, you know, go ahead and see what's happening.
1: Those, those, that's tip number one, then, bold. Um, That is to be taken in conjunction with other tips as well?
2: correct okay, so that's correct. your first step
1: so it's not that if because blackjack's having a bad day and he's decided he's lethargic and can't be bothered to come walk the five acre field to come and see me I don't need to go into blind panic of oh my gosh he's dying
2: no 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 no. okay fine that's, we move on not, to step that's two that's not yet okay.
1: step
2: two okay. <laughs> okay so as I said earlier in the pot, you want to have your preventative care you want to have that baseline set of vital signs right mm-hmm. so the vital signs like I told you they're vital your, to your surviving And it consists of in your first aid, airway breathing, circulation. Right. Yeah. So if your horse is standing up and looking at you, we can safely assume that the heart is beating, it is breathing and adequately enough to be standing compass mentors looking at you with ability to respond. However, if you notice something like a labored breathing, so breathing is most important because it's it pretty much hence is this horse alive or not? If it's unconscious on the floor and it's not breathing, the chances of it being alive are very slim, right? Mm. And it's a dead giveaway that it's a dire emergency and you need to hop onto the phone to your vet and follow the protocols and procedures that I want to share with you guys in the, the evacuation preparedness and uh, evacuation procedure. Mm. So you prepared for the evacuation and you have a procedure thereafter. Anyway, I digress. So... You're breathing. You can see the horse has normal labored or shallow breathing, right? Yeah. You walk up to the horse and now this is vital signs. So you've, you've seen it's bald. Then now you've seen the breathing. So is the airway clear? Can you hear anything funny? Can you hear the horse snorting on every exhale or any, every inhale as it's snorting? Is there any high-pitched whistling sound? Is there something that sounds like when I have um, croup uh, when I was a, a youngster? Or Is there anything funny when I listen to the horse when I'm walking up to it? Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe if the horse is breathing shallow and it's got some funny sound, then if yes, what is that, that sound? You need to explain that to the vet on the phone when you call. So if it's normal, then it's normal. Is there any discharge? Is there anything coming from the horse's nose or mouth? Because that could be indicative of choke. Is the horse, uh, you know, with his respirations looking somewhere specific or pacing? These are all very important, and they fall under bald. But now we're looking at the airway and the breathing specifically
1: just on now, that note, just on that note, Cameron, sorry, before you go on to the next point, sure. um at what point should we worry about a horse's runny nose because I've heard that flu is quite bad for horses as it is humans, but do horses often get runny noses, or is that a serious sign of something we need to keep an eye on?
2: Oh, definitely call for assistance if there's anything that doesn't feel within my gut and understanding of my horse that's, it just doesn't seem right. I'll call my vet first off. Hmm. Secondly, if it's just a clear or maybe a little bit green, it could be signs of an infection. And if it progresses for longer, let's say than 24 hours and it's getting worse and it's per se it's still clear and the horse is still breathing. Okay. And it's not a huge amount of salivation and huge amounts of snot coming out. It is, it's slight, you know, like when you have a snotty nose when you have the flu. Then yeah. Maybe it might be the horse having its version of the flu. But oh, okay. when it comes out like a brown, dark, clumpy color hmm. with lots of salivation, that is precursors or signs and symptoms of a horse with choke. So they have a big clump in the neck, and that's kind of a late stage if it's that bad because then it's a, been quite a big build-up. Then there's a lot of salivation because now they're trying to swallow. There's like that reflex, you know, the fight or flight reflex. And then it goes onto the sympathetic nervous system versus the parasympathetic nervous system. And then there's lots more salivation, trying to get it down there. And then that salivation stops and then it goes properly into shock because, you know, there's a decrease in circulation probably there because of an obstruction. Decreased air, you'll find the gums start going a little bit more pale, similar to when a person goes into shock. Display a whole host of signs, and those are late. That's not what you want to see. You want to see a person start choking by, you know, that international sign of grasping their throat, or this international sign, lots of mucusy, brown, almost feed inside the mucus. Then that's an issue.
1: Okay, but clear is fine. Anything dark, anything thick, anything, anything out of the ordinary is not fine.
2: Sure. And okay. if there's any issues that you think, give your vet a shout. <laughs> Thank then we you. go on to pulse. hmm Pulse is quite easy to ascertain on a horse with a stethoscope if you don't have such a thing. Um sure. I'll need to show you on a picture because it's quite difficult. But within the if you can imagine you rubbing your horse where the where the bridle will sit, right? Body yeah. ears, And you rub down through that groove towards the chin. You know where the chin joins the neck, that little section there?
1: From from the pole of the horse down to the chin. Yes. Yes, yeah.
2: So pretty much there in almost in line with that groove in the neck, you're gonna go on the inside of the, the, the bone. And you normally can feel a oh, pulse. On there. the face. Yeah.
1: Oh okay. Yeah, no, I know. Down so just under basically halfway down underneath the eye, there's a groove on the on the cheek, is is that right?
2: Yeah, but towards the inside. Not the easiest thing in the world to find as on a person, you know, that groove between the, the esophagus and the neck muscle. There's that wonderful groove that you can just put your fingers in there and poke around. It's not yes. as easy as a person, but mm-hmm. not not difficult to find. There's a couple on the legs. Uh, they're digital pulses, which mm-hmm. are also quite difficult. However, horses do have nice, strong, bounding pulses. You can put your hand on their chest and normally feel it, especially mm-hmm. when they have had a fright or when they've competed. You can feel that pulse between your legs, correct, when you're on the horse. Yes, yeah. So you can check the pulse in any way you feel fit. I have got diagrams and there are videos on YouTube that you can double check, but it's so difficult for me to show you just using verbal. uh,
1: (laughs) But again, send us those photos, and um, we can we can head to your website for the photos, Um, EquineFirstaid.co.za. Just just to repeat though, so I can get it clear, we can get it clear in our minds. So it's from the pole pole of the head down to the jaw. In the middle is a groove and the then towards face. the
2: inside of the bone so like it's if you can imagine it's uh, it's jaw bone you know it's quite a long bone yeah then we go to the temperature which is a very important uh vital sign if you've got kids you understand you're going to feel for a horse's temperature you can do that with just your hand you don't have to have a thermometer for this if you do please make sure it's digital i can't stress it enough because some people panic and the mercury in the old school thermometers break and it goes everywhere sometimes. In the horse, on the horse, around the horse, glass, it's messy. So digital thermometer, very quick, very easy, and make sure you do sterilize it because it is gonna go per rectum in, in the horse's bum, per se. So make sure it's clean, especially if you use it on other horses, and you can do that with normal rubbing alcohol.
1: Brilliant, so what should a horse's temperature be?
2: Okay, so a person's and a horse's are almost on par, right? So a person's is
1: 37.6. 37.6 centigrade, yeah.
2: But, you know, they say if you read every textbook, it's going to be something different. But it's going to be around the same as a person's. It's going to be the 37, sometimes 38, depending on the horse's coat and the conditions in which it lives in. Hmm. Sometimes cooler because, I mean, up in your northern hemisphere, you'll get around the same. So, yeah, so we're looking at uh, the horse's pulse. You can feel when the horse's pulse is racing, as you can your own, or you can feel when it's too slow. Now, I've got a, a wonderful slide that I, I use when I teach about colic. And yeah. on this slide, it shows you what your horse's vital signs would be normal and what it would be in colic, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very important that you have that comparison. You have that baseline set of vitals, like I spoke to earlier, with the preventative care, and then you also have – what it would be per se colic okay so what i'll do is i'll make sure that that is tweeted later
1: thank you what should the beats per minute be of the horse's pulse when we're taking the horse's
0: pulse
2: okay so horses because they have larger hearts it's it's in the 30 to 40 mark right for a person it's 60 to 70 Mm -hmm. Uh, depending on how fit you know the horse can be very unfit and old and tired or maybe in labor or pregnant, these anatomical changes do change Um, with regards to the horse's vital organs, etc. They're not going to be the same um, for everyone. So again, you need to find out your horse's normal resting heart rate. Mm. Because
1: youngsters have um, a faster, you know, like yearlings, they have a faster heart rate, don't they?
2: Correct, correct. So they're young, they're budding, they've got maybe a smaller heart because of their their size and stature compared to their adult counterparts. So it will be slightly different. Again, get to know your foal's resting heart rates. Hmm. Also, your resting respiration rates is 10 to 16. Anything more or less can be signs of something horrible or something that might need your attention. It really depends on the severity you get to. In Fahrenheit, it's 99 to 101.5 degrees Fahrenheit.
1: That's the temperature. That a, a
2: horse should be at rest. Yeah. You get the mucous membrane. Now, that's your gums. Also very important. That shows you what's happening on the inside of the horse. That's your last vital sign. And that basically is your capillary refill. So you get your atrials, arteries, veins, and all those things, hmm. which are large vascular organs. And they come down to your capillaries, which is your capillary bed and your nails, for example, or your, your gums. And that's the smallest portion of your your veins and arteries. So your atrials and your venules come together and that's your capillary bed. And then you press that and in one to two seconds, it should go back to the normal colour. If the gums are white, it's not a good sign. There's no blood in the capillary bed. Or if it takes long, that means there might be a bleed or some form of shock imminence or dehydration.
1: Wow. So... Um, sorry, you're speaking to an amateur here. (laughs)
2: Sure.
1: Um, the horse's, let's say the horse's gum is, is, is red or pink all the time. If you press it, it goes white and then that should revert back to red or or pink very quickly after a couple of seconds, which means a light,
2: a light red because anything dark red could be some form of infection to the gum.
1: Okay, yeah, so light, like like our colour, gums, light yeah, pink. Yeah, exactly. But if it, if it goes back to that pinky colour after a couple of seconds, then the horse is healthy, but if it remains white around the way you pressed it for a longer period of time, that could show issues.
2: Exactly. So that could be imminent of shock, because when a horse is severely dehydrated from di- um, sorry, diarrhea or frequent urination, or it's just been in an accident and you've had to put three bandages and packed it with gauze, then this might be a late stage or beginning stage of shock dependent on what color the gums are. If they're blue and there's signs and symptoms of choke, they're not getting enough air through to their lungs to get that nice pink gum back. So these are all signs and symptoms that you have had to predetermine what is normal versus what is abnormal and let your vet know because if you live 30 minutes away from your vet an hour away even five minutes mm. there has to be policies and procedures in place so that you can get forewarned before it becomes a life and death situation
1: my gosh Cameron that's amazing because you know we, we won't be able to say what's wrong with the horse but at least we can then say to the vet what we found um, and they can help us through that so they can ask us next questions while they're on their way can't they
2: exactly exactly and when I I keep on going back to this, but one of the handouts or one of the free downloads or giveaways or whatever you want to call it is basically a step-by-step with almost like a grid. You can print this out and circle everything if there's an instance with the horse and you can see your head to tail all the way down to any differentials or anything abnormal with your horse's manure. For example, it's normal. There's diarrhea. There's decreased um, horse manure or manuring or going to the toilet, or it's hard or is frequent, you can get down to the nitty-gritty and explain what you see. So you hand this to the vet after you've called them because you've seen that there's something wrong and that takes that 10 to 15 minutes that it might take for them to do their primary assessment Mm -hmm. and they can pinpoint, okay, there's something wrong with the lungs, let's assess that properly because now they don't have to worry about taking the temperature or if they do they have a comparison Okay, the first temperature was 38.9. That's when you decided to start putting the cool water on the horse, cool running water, and by the time the vet got there, it's cooled down. For example, my mom had the vet over today, and she did the comparison for the vet. She said, when I called, it was this. When you arrived, it was that. That saved the vet a whole bunch of questions and answers that needed to be done in any other circumstance. And then she could pinpoint and say, oh, it's biliary." Boom. Thank you for coming. Let's take some bloods. Let's confirm this, and then we'll start medicating and treating the horse appropriately.
1: Brilliant. So we can. So it's almost like um like an assessment checklist.
2: Exactly. And there's mnemonics. Mnemonics are basically just words that uh, us paramedics use because in stressful situations you don't have time to think, and you go back to muscle memory. So you say, okay, a mnemonic for when you start initial assessment is ABC for a conscious person, and CAB for unconscious. And then it becomes ample history. And that's allergies, medication, past medical history, loss, oral intake, events prior, what happened before. Cool. Next question. Do you suffer from death? That's diabetes, epilepsy, asthma, tuberculosis, or high or low blood pressure. Cool. Next question. Now you see when you get one strike out of all these mnemonics, you'll start to see that a picture starts being created in the mind's eye. And then that guides us okay, maybe I need to do this, maybe I need to do that. This could be this, this could be that. I need to call the vet, I need to call them now, or I can chill. Let's wait, let's watch.
1: Thank you so much, this will be amazing. So we just have to email you and you'll send us those checklists over.
2: The email address is hello, H-E-L-L-O, at equine, first aid, but the first is spelled with a one and s t. So equan one dot
1: You'll also send us the evacuation procedure which you do cover in your courses but you're kind enough to give them to us. And any, any advice if anyone's got any questions that maybe they've, they've I don't know they've had a problem and they didn't know how to deal with it, they could email you over and you will answer their direct questions too. also just quickly briefly want to mention that you're launching medical kits which I think are amazing They're first aid kits for horse and rider so there's there's uh, products in there for horses products in there for for riders if there's any human injuries and you did say to me before that some of the products can actually be crossed over in use so some of the the human products can be used on horses and vice versa
2: 100% so all of our content like the vets are coming from your normal medical supply companies that supply the hospitals and the clinics and the paramedics and the ambulances. It's all sterile. It comes in its packaging. It's made out of sterile environments. However, the sizes are bigger. So you get 150 millimeter by five meter crate bandages. You get double or triple the amount of gauze that you'd even find in a jump bag on an ambulance. Mm-hmm. You're gonna find Um, first aid dressings but size five first aid dressings so these are 150 mil first aid dressings so that's basically a piece of trauma pad on what would you say conform bandage um there's hoof picks in the barn first aid kit there's wire cutters lanterns you name it it's there it's
1: brilliant because what you've done is you've done i mean i put together our own yard first aid kit and I say yard a lot of us aren't actually on yards we we maybe um, have some fields and there are a few fields and there could be five horses in a field so it's a field rather than a yard if that makes sense um, sure. and I put together just a homemade one of things that I thought that we might need for an emergency but again not actually knowing because I haven't been in those situations so luckily touch wood so um not actually knowing what I was trying to prepare for if that makes sense so you've done it all for us you put it all together in one pack and um and it's for horse and rider which is brilliant and then the other thing that you've sure. got which i think are a genius idea are these id tags that sure. you put them on your boots and you put them on your hat and and they have your id on them and your telephone number however yours are even better they go that step further they're 911
2: 911 9-1, like the the american emergency number mm then it's just a dash and then tags so the floaty minus and then the tags i think they're brilliant then,
1: because they're bangles they're, they're bracelets that you put on you wear and they're, they're leather and they've got a little um
2: it's an id plate so you have for example like i told you earlier with the, the south african problem we have we have private and public health care so i'm on a medical aid which allows me to go to privates and not everyone gets that so i'm very lucky so if i don't by any off chance have my wallet or get stolen. Then I have this bangle that says my name and surname, my ID number, my medical aid name and my medical aid number, and then my mother or father or whoever your in-case-of-emergency number is. It's on this. So I'm wearing one now that's a paracord. So, you know, like your normal parachute has that cord. It's yeah. wrapped up, and it's a bangle with this plate on it, and it's got 200 apparent applications i haven't tried it yet and there's leather ones as you mentioned there's but they're cool it, they look,
1: yeah they look cool as well though because you remember those old copper bands that you used to get if you had arthritis <laughs> Everyone used to wear a copper band. You know, they're you not know like your
2: skin goes blue.
1: Yeah, these are these are cool wristbands to wear that look good, but that also have a purpose. You know, if you've got any allergies like me, I'm I'm highly allergic to coconut, wasps. Really allergic to wasps. So if I always have to carry um, antihistamine and an EpiPen with me. Exactly. Which isn't very safe when you're when you're riding to carry around your epipen. So naughty me, I only take my antihistamine. However, if I was to pass out in the middle of the New Forest, at least somebody would understand that she's allergic to wasps and coconut and she, you know, needs an yeah. epipen. And um, but it's also got the telephone number, so it's but so much better to be safe than sorry to have tags on your boots, on the horse's bridle, on your hat, and one of these wristbands. 911 tags wristbands Correct. are awesome as well so those are all available on your website which is equinefirstaid.co.za, and we can follow you on twitter can't we cameron
2: at equi yeah underscore one s-t aid equi underscore first aid someone got the other one before me unfortunately <laughs> However, oh. there is instagram as well <laughs>
1: Cameron, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for all your advice.
2: Yeah, most definitely. And thank you for having me. It's, it's only a pleasure to chat to people and spread the word. So let's keep spreading it, eh?
1: Thanks, Cameron. Bye.
2: Thanks. Bye-bye. bye bye
1: Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Next Monday, I'm talking to Alec Banner Eve and it's all about polo. He's been so successful in the polo industry and he's based not far from London and he actually runs his own. Actually, he, he's based in Essex um, and he runs his own polo club. Now, I know nothing about polo, so I thought we could learn together. So that's next Monday, and in the meantime, I hope you have a really, really good week. Don't forget to keep us updated with any videos that you've got. If you get to take your little head cam out when you go riding, then um, do drop us a line on our Facebook page. Just search for Horse Hour, or of course on Twitter, at Horse Hour. I'll speak to you next week
0: you've been listening to horse hour join the community on twitter mondays 8pm uk time 3pm eastern by using the hashtag horse hour follow amy at amy stevenson one and subscribe to us on acast itunes stitcher and player fm